Well, my name's Jared, for those of us that are meeting for the first time, and I get to launch a new eight-week series, and another team members are going to help along with that over the next few weeks in talking about the habits of happiness. Today, we're going to talk, start talking about healthy relationships, and we're just going to take the book of Philippians, and we're going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, verse by verse. It may get worse. Verse by verse. And discover this amazing book, this happiest book of the Bible. In fact, the words joy, glad, enjoy, rejoice, happy, happiness are used 17 times in this brief book. That just spills over with happiness. Now, here's the irony Paul writes this book from prison in Rome. Back to these people at a church that he started in Philippi. We learned something right off the back. Apparently, happiness is not your happenstance or your happenings. It's something deep within. When we open this book, it just pops out as a giant thank you note. And it's almost will make you blush to read it because Paul had no idea that he was writing inspired scripture that 2,000 years later, we were going to be carefully analyzing and learning from. He thought he was just writing this thank you note to his friends. And this is what pours out of him. As he's writing from prison in Rome to Philippi in Greece, a church that he had started, and he's saying thank you to these people for their financial support, for their prayer, for their friendship, and for their love. If you were to write about happiness... Where would you start? Maybe having more time for some of you? More sex for some of you? More money for some of you? Yeah. I don't know where you'd start. We're obviously not going to vote out loud in public on those three. But, but Paul starts by jumping right in with talking about relationships. Now, doesn't that make sense? We've all met people who have, are wealthy, that have a lot of fame and notoriety, and are going through a divorce, and they're not happy people, are they? Because relationship trumps other circumstances in life. So it makes sense that if Paul is going to write about eight habits of happiness, that he would start with a habit of how to grow a healthy relationship. And we're going to take a look at the first 11 verses of chapter 1, because that's where Paul launches right in. And as we read these verses, notice with me four habits of Paul's that spill over that if we can learn, we're going to be happier people as well. Let's read it. Notice it in your Bibles, either in your devices or a book, or on the screen from verse 1, it says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pause. That's his introduction, and now he's getting into the guts. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it's right for me to feel this way about all of you 
Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Whew, I need to stop and take a breath. He started a sentence that was run on. He was really full of gratitude, and we're going to enjoy what we learn about his four relational habits that come out of those 11 verses today. And here's the deal. If you practice these things, your relationships will be better and you will be happier. That's the promise. But here's the truth. These four things are easy for me to tell you, easy for you to understand, and terribly difficult to apply in life. They are, after all, habits. And habits are rituals that we decide to regularly place in our life to practice long enough until they become a habitual part of who we are. So in my talk today, I'm going to give a couple of assignments along the way about some practices that you can engage in this week. Here's the deal. Paul gives us four habits. Let's start with the first one. He says to be grateful for the people who are in my life. Hmm. Paul knew something that in our culture we've only scientifically discovered in the last 25 years. There is a direct causal relationship between being grateful and experiencing happiness. Study after study, psychiatrists, uh, psychologists, sociologists, and others have studied asking the question, what causes some people to be happy and other people to be less happy. And gratitude is always at the top of the list. Paul was on to something here. The simple truth is a source of good relationships. When marriages stop expressing gratitude, they start to crumble. When you stop remembering why you married in the first place, what it was that attracted you to that person, when you stop remembering the good times, when you stop being grateful, the marriage is already ready to begin to slide its slippery slope toward oblivion. Some of you were here yesterday and I got to officiate at a wedding and it was beautiful. It was wonderful. When I walked out with the groom, he was crying. The attendants came down the aisle one at a time. There were 10 of them. They were crying. The bride was crying. I wanted to cry. There was snot. There was tears. There was laughter. It was so much fun. And they turned and they read their vows that they had written to one another. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. And I wanted to say to them, it's not going to get any better than this. (laughs) Unless you learn to be grateful every day for the rest of your lives. And then it can be tons better than this. Gratitude. Paul says, I'm grateful for who you are and I'm grateful for what you've done. Now, we know the problem, don't we? It's easiest to express less gratitude toward the people that we know the very best. 
And over time, we begin to focus more on their faults. And it's easier to remember the bad times because that's how humans are wired to think emotionally about the things that have been painful and difficult rather than to follow the emotion of joy toward the things that were wonderful and delightful. And without this habit of giving thanks, we can find ourselves having those relationships slip away. And Paul said this, every time I think about you, I give thanks every time. Now, that's what you do, isn't it? Of course. Every time you think about someone, you give thanks. Not me. Maybe not you. When I'm about to think of someone, I think about, I wonder why they're late. I hope they hurry and get here. I wonder what they're going to ask of me. I wonder what problem we're going to solve. I wonder what drama they're going to bring this time. What do you do? I don't think about gratitude first every time. This is the first habit of happiness. I am always grateful, Paul says, when I think about you. And so if you develop this habit, whenever you think of the people in your life, your friends or your husband or your wife or your coworkers or your kids or your parents or your relatives, if the first thought is gratitude, it will transform that relationship. Now, here's the truth. Paul did not have a good time when he was in Philippi. In fact, starting that church was the roughest start that's recorded in the book of Acts. He came to town. He got falsely arrested. He was beat up. He was whipped. He was thrown into jail. He endured an earthquake. And when they finally let him go, the city leaders kicked him out of town. And you don't get one hint of that in the entire book of Philippians that he's writing from jail. He starts by saying, every time I think of you, I give thanks. Wow. What was he doing? He was practicing selective memory. Well, Paul, if you really want to be authentic, you're going to remind these people that you put up with a lot to get this church started over here. He'd say, no, 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 no. I don't want God to treat me that way. Hmm? How about you? For God to come and say to you, I'll forgive you all of your sins, but I want to make a deal with you right here. I'm going to forgive you, Mark, of all your sins. But trust me, when you get to heaven, I'm going to, in front of me and everybody, I'm just going to tell people about the dirty, rotten guy that you were from time to time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's not being authentic. Authenticity is saying, as we hope God does for us, I forgive you, I forget. Selective memory. Paul says, every time I think about you, I give thanks. Yeah. Wow. Once in a while, I get to talk with, uh, with couples and about relationships. And uh, I'm no marriage counselor. I'm shocked when they come and I'm shocked if they come back a second time. And by then I've told them more than I know. So I'm not good, but I have really good friends that I can refer to. So, you know, that's helpful. But sometimes what I, sometimes I've met with couples in the past and you know, they have been so disgusted with each other that when they actually come in the same room together, that they, that they don't even want to look at each other. I mean, I've had couples that I've, I've, you know, in the past, I've told them to sit down and they sit down and then they turn their bodies away from each other. And I'm like having two conversations, one with him and one with her, but they are not having a conversation together at all. And I wonder, is there any hope for this thing? And sometimes I say, I don't think so. 
And that's when I call, you know, Rick or Brad or Marley or one of the other pastors. And I say, you take care of these people. That's what I say. You know? So I told you I can refer folks. I have hope. I have hope. No, no honestly. But what I've done sometimes is I've said, you know, later in this book, we're going to get there. It's chapter four. It's incredible. I say to them, would you do an assignment for 10 minutes a day if I believed it could powerfully change your relationship in as fast as one week? And generally they say, I'll do something for, I'll do anything for 10 minutes a day. And so I take him to Philippians 4 and it says, think about these things. And it lists about eight words there, things that are true and pure and lovely and excellent and praiseworthy and a good report. And I'm going to say, I want you to write down right now, right now, here's a piece of paper. I want you to write down those eight words. And this week, here's your assignment. You're going to take 10 minutes a day and you're going to write one word about him or about her that matches each of those qualifiers. And in a week, we're going to come back and you're going to tell me about how you did your homework. When they come back, I usually don't have to ask if they did the assignment. It's obvious because it is transformative when we change the way we think. Paul said, first of all, you want to have healthy, growing relationships? He said, I want you to have selective memory. And there's a happiness hint that I want to give you before we go to number two. It's this, remember the best and forget the rest. There you go. Develop selective memory. And this week, here's your assignment. I want you to write down a list of people in your life. And on that list, I want you to write down five things that you're grateful for. And when you remember it, it'll begin to transform that relationship. One of the nasty things about being a pastor who's on the teaching team is that I actually have to practice what I preach both ways. I practice the words, the delivery, and I have to practice in life. And did I ever have an opportunity to do this this week? I was at a set of meetings. There was a guy who was speaking. He did a monologue lecture for an hour. He and I have 20 years of history, and not all of it has been good. You know what I mean? Not all of it has been good. And I have some emotion attached with some of those memories. And I wanted to sit there and stew for an hour about the dirty, rotten scoundrel that he has been at points in my life. But I knew that I had to talk to you today. And I was only separated by four or five days. If it's more than a week, I give myself some slack. But if it's that close, I got to have integrity. You understand? And so what I did was what I'm, the assignment I'm giving you. I sat down during that talk and I wrote down his name and I wrote down 10 things that I can be grateful for about who he is and what he's done in my life. Because here's the deal. He's done far, far more that's gratitude worthy than the other stuff as well. It'll change your life. So the first thing that I learn is to be thankful for people in my life. The second thing that I learn is to pray for joy for the people in my life. Yeah. Paul's praying for these people. Would that be cool or what? They must have thought, this is awesome. The apostle Paul's praying for me. It's encouraging to know that people are praying for you, isn't it? And when people tell me, I'm praying for you, Jared, I take that seriously. I feel that. And Paul says, I'm praying for you. And here's a little secret. There are things in the lives of people around you that you'd love to change. Don't vote on that. I think that that's just generally true. But you've noticed, haven't you, that you rarely change them? You can only change yourself. So here's the trick when it comes to praying for other people. Since we can only change ourselves when you pray for them... You get changed, 
And God can change them. That's how it works. Here's a second happiness hint. The quickest way to change a bad relationship to a good one is to start praying for them. It'll change you and it can change them. But if you're like me, you ask the question, so what should I pray for? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for my friend. And then I think about it and I get stuck. And then I pray a wimpy prayer. A wimpy prayer is like this. God bless him. God bless Eric. That's wimpy. It's better than God curse Eric, but it's still kind of, kind of wimpy. But then I think God says that if we pray anything according to his will, he'll hear us. And if we know that he hears us, he'll answer us. So how do I know what God's will is for Eric? I'm glad you asked. Because Paul models a prayer with several pieces to it, which tells us precisely how I can pray for Eric and he can pray for me. Pray for me. It starts in verse 9. Once again, it says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may discern what is best, and that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, and that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What's he saying? Here's four things that you can pray. You can pray for your kids, for your friends, for your boyfriend, for your girlfriend, for your boss, for your neighbors, for me, for anybody you care about. Four things to be praying for. And right now, your assignment right now is to pick somebody that you do life with and you're going to pray in the next 60 seconds these four things for them. The first one, pray that they'll grow in love. Hmm. Paul said that your love will grow more and more. Number two, pray that they'll make wise choices. Pray for the people in your life, your friends, your family, your classmates, your neighbors. Pray that they'll make wise choices. In verse 9, he says that you will fully know and understand to make the right choices. Number three, Pray that they'll live with integrity. Paul says, I've prayed that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. And four, pray that they'll become like Jesus. Hmm. How would you like a pastor, a pastoral team that grows in love and makes wise decisions and lives with integrity and becomes like Jesus? Would that give you hope? Hmm, yeah. Yeah. You think maybe that I'd be a better guy if you pray for me. Yeah. Pray for yourselves. Parents, here is your prayer agenda for your kids. Grandparents, here's your prayer agenda for your grandchildren. If you're not married, here is your prayer agenda for that husband or wife that you hope to meet that you haven't even met yet, folks. If you've got a lousy boss, this is a good prayer. You'd like to work for someone like this. We get the point. Paul gave us very clearly, very specifically, and simply, and powerfully, exactly what to pray for. And here's the deal. You pray this prayer, God will answer it. Because it's in the Bible, and it's his will, and he loves to answer prayers that are in his will. Hmm. So be grateful for the people in my life. Second, pray for the people in my life. And the third habit Paul gives is expect the best from people in my life. I love, I love what we're going to come to in this verse 6. I'm confident of this. That God who began a good work in you, he's going to continue it and carry it on to completion. 
He's saying to make a habit of believing in people rather than criticizing them. Expect the best. Paul is a pro at bringing out the best in people. And he does three things in this verse that we can learn from. First of all, he believed in people. He says, I'm confident. And he gave them confidence. Do you give people confidence in life? Or do you tear them down? Do you build them up? Or do you criticize them down? Imagine a child. Maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's a grandkid. Maybe a niece or a nephew. She's running around the track. She's in a race. You're in the stands cheering her on. She trips. She falls. She just goes across the track. And you stand and you say, I am so embarrassed. I have never been more embarrassed in my life. I am going to leave right now. And you stomp out. No. A bad parent would do that. A good parent would stand and say, it's okay, it's not that big a deal. Just get back up, run, I believe in you, go for it, you can do it. And guess what? God is a good parent. And that's what you count on in your life when you stumble and fall. Skin your nose. And that's what you hear in your life. God by his spirit saying, come on, get up. You can do this. Why? Because he's confident that he is going to complete his work in your life. And it might take from now until Jesus returns, but he's going to get the job done. And that's why we draft off of God's confidence about what he's doing in our friend's life. And we join him in that confidence. And we say with them with Paul, I believe in you. I'm confident in you. God's going to finish in you. Wow. Just keep on running. The second thing he does is that he gives people vision. Yeah. Vision that they're going to keep growing. You guys are going to get done because God's going to get you done. You're going to end up being just like Christ. It's a process, but that's okay. He gives them a vision of their lives. He paints a picture of where they're going. And why is that so important? Well, we know that study after study has shown us that we tend to live into and up to the expectations of other people. Teachers that have high expectations for their students tend to have students that perform better than teachers who have low expectations for students who tend to perform not so well. It's very clear in the research that we tend to live up to the expectations of people that we highly value in our life. Here's Paul the Apostle, the starter of this church, and he says, listen folks, I'm celebrating how far you've come. Here's happiness hint number three. Celebrate how far people have come rather than judging them for how far they still have to go. Wow. You've got to be patient with people's progress. God is, you can be too. When my grandkids draw me a picture and they bring it and they say, Papa, look what I made for you. I tell them the truth. That is beautiful. That is perfect. I love it. It's wonderful. Now, did they bring me a Picasso? No. I am not taking this artwork right down to the Florence Gallery in the Pearl District and selling it for $100,000. But it's perfect for where they are in life. That's what Paul's saying. 
I'm confident in you right where you are. And I'm patient with the progress that God's making in your life. Because God doesn't wait until you're mature before he loves you. Why should we wait until other people get fixed before we love and accept them? Hmm. You see, this key to believing the best in people tied with patience and love. Paul says in the next verse, verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you. What way? That I can believe in you and have confidence in you. It's right for me to believe in you, he says, since I have you in my heart. Here's the real key to happiness, to have others in our heart, which leads us to the fourth and final happiness of growing effective relationships. Paul tells us in the fourth secret that it's to love the people in my life like Jesus does. So what have we learned? I must be grateful for the people in my life. I must pray for the people in my life. I expect the best of people in my life. And I love the people in my life as Jesus loves He says it this way in verse 8. God is my witness, and I tell the truth when I say that my deep love for you comes from the heart of Jesus Christ himself. I love this verse. Mm. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what real love is. Christ gave his life for us, So then we ought to give our lives for others. What's the reference? 1 John 3.16. Does that bring to recollection another reference? John 3.16. We're very familiar with that. Many of you would be able to quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. We love that verse. We live into that verse and we should. It's the verse that tells us the big story that God forgives your past, gives purpose to your life and makes a home for you in heaven. It's called the good news that God sent his son Jesus to live and die and rise on our behalf to be forgiven of the past, purposed in the present and confident in heaven in the future. We love John 3.16 and should. But here's the problem in life. There are some people that live into John 3.16 that forget to live into 1 John 3.16. We ignore that it says, and this is real love, that God gave his life for us. He gave his son for us, and we must do the same thing for others. If we did that, folks, we would not have many relational problems because we'd be so busy thinking about serving others that we wouldn't have a lot of time to think about ourselves. Hmm. So as I close, I'm going to invite you to do a little personal self-evaluation. Which of these four habits is one that you need to work on? Maybe you need to be more grateful. And for whom would that be? Who is it in your life that you've started taking for granted or that you failed to appreciate or because of their flaws and their failures, you've not been grateful for them. Maybe you'll work on the first habit of happiness. Be grateful for the people 
that are in your life. Number two is how about how you're praying for people in, the, in your life? Who can you pray for? And would you pray for them? And if you don't have anyone to pray for, would you pray this for me? Please. Please pray that I'll grow in love, that I'll make wise choices, that I'll live with integrity, and that I'll become like Jesus. Hmm. Third, let me ask this. Do you expect the best in others? I encourage you to make a prayer list and to put some items on that. And as you pray into that, be thoughtful about your expectations of praying the best for you. Because listen, if you demand perfection, you're never going to be happy because it's probably going to be a while before they get from here to there. Oh, but you can just release them to flourish as you expect the best. Or how about number four, that they become like Jesus and start loving from the heart. Well, in this series, today we launched the first of eight habits of happiness. We've started with relationships. I hope it's been helpful for you. I hope that you put some things into practice. I'm going to pray in a moment that you will. And I hope that you make a commitment to be here for all eight weeks. Ann and I and one of the team members are going to be going through this and Maybe for you at this point in your life, this is exactly what you need for God to do for you. And part of your prayer today is, God, help me be here regularly so I can hear what you're saying to me. And maybe today you've not yet committed your life to be a follower of Christ. And today is your day to say, God, I can't believe how much you loved me. But today I receive that love. I receive your forgiveness for my sin and my past has been cleaned. I receive your purpose for my life. Help me discover that as I follow you today. And I receive your gift of eternal life, a home in heaven. Let's make those our prayers as we pray.